Would you take your scriptures, turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 14. 1 Samuel 14, we'll be reading verses 24 through 30. First Samuel 14, 24 through 30. Would you give ear to the reading of God's word? And the men of Israel were distressed that day, for Saul had placed the people under oath, saying, Cursed is the man who eats any food until evening before I take, have taken advantage of my enemies. So none of the people tasted food. Now all of the people of the land came to a forest, and there was honey on the ground. And when the people had come into the woods... There was honey dripping, but no one put his hand to his mouth, for the people feared the oath. But Jonathan had not heard his father charge the people with the oath. Therefore he stretched out the end of the rod that was in his hand, and he dipped it in the honeycomb, and put his hand to his mouth, and his countenance brightened. Then one of the people said, Your father strictly charged the people with an oath, saying, Cursed is the man who eats food this day. And the people were faint. But Jonathan said, My father has troubled the land. Look now how my countenance has brightened because I tasted a little of this honey. How much better had the people eaten freely today of the spoil of their enemies which they found? For now would there not have been a much greater slaughter among the Philistines? May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let us pray. Do good to your servants according to your word, O Lord. Teach us knowledge and good judgment, for we believe in your commands. Before we were afflicted, we went astray, but now we obey your word. You're good, and what you do is good. Teach us your decrees. Though the arrogant have smeared us with lies, we keep all your precepts with all our heart. Their hearts are callous and unfeeling, but we delight in your law. It was good for us to be afflicted so that we might learn your decrees. The gospel from your mouth is more precious to us than thousands of pieces of silver and gold. Help us, Father. Help us in Christ to grow in our faith. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. What goes through the mind of the average person coming to this Lord's table? If that person has been properly taught the importance of this great sacrament, then there has to be an infinite amount of doubt in their hearts. I don't believe anyone fully understanding the meaning of this ordinance can come to it without doubts in their heart. This table represents the life and work of their Lord and Savior. The scripture has taught that no one can come to this table because of their own worth. That alone will cause you to doubt yourself and your place at this table. Jesus Christ is the one who made this gospel banquet to which all believers are invited. He is the one who established this supper, and he is the nourishment found in it. In his invitation, all believers, those who are poor in spirit and rich in faith, are called to come. Let the poor doubting believer be encouraged to come. The devil will do everything he can to keep you from this table. Our text this morning from 1 Samuel 14 is verse 26. And when the people had come into the woods, there was the honey dripping, but no one put his hand to his mouth, for the people feared the oath. I'm afraid there are many Christians 
bruised and bleeding, humbled by their sins, that fear to expose themselves before this table. Just as God provided nourishment for the army of Israel in that battle, he also provides nourishment for his people on this table. They are yearning for all they are worth to have the balm of God's love and forgiveness, but they dare not come too close. They're inhibited by Satan's taunt of their unworthiness, just as the men of Saul were inhibited by his foolish oath. Let us learn this morning. This table is here for those who know they're sinners and have need of a Savior and have joined themselves to a Bible-believing church to show their commitment to Christ as their Lord. This table is a sign that Jesus has indeed done for you what you could not do for yourself. Here, it, It's here to introduce you to the one who can save your soul. Mark 10.49 says, Rise, he is calling you. What we want to do this morning is examine those doubts that harm. To look at the remembrances that save and to hear about the faith that shines. Through these things, I hope you can learn more about this supper and what it is designed to do for sinners saved by grace. I have to acknowledge the help I received in the idea of this sermon and a lot of assistance in the preparation of this message from Thomas Watson. Thomas Watson was a Puritan of the 17th century. He was a strong preacher and writer who suffered for his faith. He was imprisoned for a while and later, being after being released from prison, was removed from his pulpit because of his strong faith and unwillingness to compromise God's word. There are a number of doubts Christians can have that will cause them to avoid the table of their Lord. I want to consider five of those doubts. These are all very harmful doubts. What I would like to do is take these doubts and examine them. The first doubt is one of unworthiness. Every Christian would know this doubt, how he could be, it could be possible such a sinner as I could come to this table. You read the Bible and hear you are a sinner who falls far short of God's glory. You're a creature whose imaginations are always evil, whose heart is deceitful and beyond cure. You know there's nothing in you that would make God receive you. How can you deal with such a negative doubt? Ask yourself, who did Christ die for? Paul says in 1 Timothy 1.15, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Jesus came into the world to save those who could not save themselves. Look at who is invited to this table in Luke 14.21. He says to go and find the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. This tells you if you know how unworthy you are. Here, right here is the place for you to be. This is where you need to be. The salvation you so desperately desire is found here. Don't allow the doubt of your worth to keep you from this table because it's here you will find a new worth. A worth that is a gift, not something you can have to earn. This is a divine gift that will change your life. Another doubt that plagues so many is failing to trust in God's mercy. You are saved and have come to this table many times. Now, because of some sin in your life, you don't want to come because you don't believe it will help you. 
You feel as though guilt has taken control of your life. You don't have confidence that Christ's grace will minister to you again. Consider the actions of the disciples when Jesus was arrested. They ran off and hid. Peter followed Jesus to observe what would happen. However, pressed about Jesus, Peter denied him three times. What was Jesus' reaction to Peter and the other disciples? He forgave and restored them. At his resurrection, he tells Mary to go and tell the disciples he is risen and will meet them. What do you need to face this doubt? You need to know Jesus will never forsake you regardless of how badly you fail. He is always willing to pick you up and wash you in his blood. Coming to this table amid such doubt is the only way to find the peace of heart you need. It's like in King Saul's day. What you need to be strong is right here on this table. Don't let Satan make you fear taking what is so graciously offered to help make you strong. I know this next doubt so very well. It's feelings of weakness. You can you come to the table and see the elements laid out before you. You look into your heart and feel the feebleness of your spirit, the weakness of your faith, your lack of commitment. And you think, how can I take such holiness? What you must remember is that the weaker your spirit, the greater the need for nourishment. If you're dying of malnourishment and are offered food and drink, but you say, it's useless for me to take it because of how weak I am. Do you not deserve what comes to you for such foolish thinking? It's weakness that causes you to need food. It's your weakness of spirit that drives you to Jesus Christ. It's the gift of his life is represented by his flesh and blood that can make you strong. There is a, another disturbing doubt. It's when you remember those times you've come to the table. Times when you felt no comfort, when you left and had no experience of fruit. So why, so you say, why come again? This is the doubt of hopelessness. There are many times when you come to this sacrament or to any of the other means of grace and feel as though God has done nothing for you. On the day of Christ's resurrection, Mary went to the tomb. She met Christ but did not at first recognize him. It's easy, very easy to come to this table and feel as though you have not met your Lord. You come with a certain expectation of what you want. And when you don't get what you want, hopelessness sets in. You may desire comfort. But he may give strength of spirit instead so you can fight off weakness. The greatest need you have is to be strengthened in your faith. And that's the purpose of this table. Sometimes you come wanting to be filled with joy. When what you need to be overwhelmed with tears. When you consider all Jesus endured for you in his life and death, you should be brought to tears and broken in heart. The last doubt that I would address is the the doubt of understanding. It's when you can't find any grace in the sacrament. 
Your heart feels hard and dead, as though it's without any sign of life. When you feel as though there is nothing you can gain from this sacrament, you have sought an answer, and it has not come. You're at the point of despair. Your hope has been lost. This is when you must come in faith, remembering that the promises of God are vows. He will not fail to fulfill. You have to look at the promises of this table and remember there is no way they will fail. All you have to do is wait. The Lord has given us his word. He's given his word to all who come to this table with a right heart. What does it mean to have a right heart? It means to place all of your hope and trust in Jesus Christ alone, regardless of how you feel today. To all who come looking to Christ alone, mercy will come. Thomas Watson says God's mercies in Scripture are not called speedy mercies, but they are sure mercies. To come to this table is to say, Lord, I will wait on you for as long as you deem necessary. You must be honest with yourself and admit these doubts do trouble you at times. Come before this table with faith. Let God's word help you overcome them. Coming to this table is a special thing for Christians. It should be. It reminds you of what Jesus Christ did for you. Has Christ given you his body and blood? Then when you approach this table, you do so in remembrance of all Jesus did on your behalf. This is an ordinance of remembrance. He tells you in the instructions of the supper, do this in remembrance of me. This spiritual festival was given to preserve the living memory of the one who died for you. You see this day of sacrament as a day of commemoration. A special day set aside to remember the grace and mercy extended through Christ's life, death, and resurrection. One of the more important things this supper should bring to remembrance is the passion of Christ. It's so important that you remember what Jesus did on your behalf. Without his passion, you would be lost and without hope in the fires of hell. There would be no hope of peace and rest. Jeremiah in Lamentations 3 speaks of the horror of what would befall Christ. God's judgment fell on Christ because of your sins. Jeremiah prophesies about the, the, that coming horror. Jeremiah says Christ will be pierced of heart. He will become a laughing stock to all people. He will be trampled in the dust. His splendor will be lost and his hope withered. He says in Lamentations 3.19, Remember my affliction and roaming, the wormwood and the gall. When God gave the children of Israel manna, he had Moses and Aaron put some in the ark as a remembrance of his preservation of the people. If he wanted manna as a sign of relief, how much more would he want the death and suffering of the Lord as a remembrance? This table is that remembrance. This should also cause you to remember the glorious benefits received from the broken body of the Lord. Because of Christ's suffering on the cross, you are protected from the eternal suffering in hell. Because Christ gave himself over to death, so the devil is stripped of his power over you.
because Christ willingly agreed to be nailed to the cross, you're given a box of precious jewels, grace, mercy, and love. Because Christ gave himself to the torments of the cross, your access to God is opened. You can approach with boldness. Don't neglect coming to this table. Through the blood of Jesus, your path is open to the throne of God. Because Jesus took your sins, you're made an heir to all the promises of God. Because he wore a crown of thorns, you can wear a crown of life. Because of his death, you have a divine kinship with God and access to eternal glory. Because of that bloody cross, your way to heaven is guaranteed. Christ drank sin's bitterness so you can taste the sweetness of forgiveness. It's good for you to remember your Lord through this sacrament. You have to understand that simply remembering Christ and what he did is not enough. There are those with such a tender spirit that the reciting of all Christ did affects them greatly, but that can never be enough. Such remembrances have little comfort in them. We come remembering Christ in the right way. That would mean remembering his death with joy. Paul says in Galatians 6, 14a, But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. When you come and see Christ in this sacrament, crucified before your very eyes, you see him on that cross with his arms stretched wide to receive your sins. Is this not a great triumph? Yes, you remember your sins in grief. But in seeing what he has done for you, you remember his suffering with great joy. Weep and well for those sins for which he died. But rejoice in that shed blood that was washed away your sin, that washed away your sin and its guilt. Remember him as your st- you stand by an empty cross which declares his resurrection. You need to remember Christ's death and all it entailed so you can comfort your life to his death, conform your life to his death. The Apostle Paul put it this way in Philippians 3.10, that I may know him, Christ, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death. What he wants you to understand is that you cannot remember Christ's death aright until you have died to your sins. You must come to the point your pride and fleshly lust are dead. What this supper shows is that Christ dying for you makes sin die in you. Then you must rightly remember Christ's sacrifice. For then you have been crucified with him. Only when you have died to the pleasures and performance of this world will you truly understand this sacrament. Galatians 6, 14b by whom the world had been crucified to me and I to the world. This is the great remembrance that should fill your heart as you come to this table. This communion supper is given by Jesus Christ. He gives it to build you up in grace. It is therefore to your best interest to work at seeking all the virtue you can from it. From it. Do you not allow this time to pass without receiving nourishment from it? Do not bring discredit on this ordinance by going away empty. The whole reason behind Christ giving this sacrament is to augment your faith. He expects that everyone coming to this table with a right heart should gain some profit from it. 
that all who come will have their weak faith strengthened and their minute faith made to flourish. You may seek to know how you can have great faith. I believe there are five things that go to show great faith. If you show any one of these things, even in part in your life, then you can know you have a faith that can be great. I pray as you approach this table, you will look in your heart and find a faith that shines. First, great faith places its hope and trust in Jesus Christ alone. This faith can rely on God's providence when things are outwardly in disarray. It can give hope when circumstances would tell you there is none. This kind of faith is shown in Habakkuk 3, verses 17 through 18. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vine, though the labor of the olives may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Here this is telling you, you can have faith in the face of loss of everything. That goes back to the promise of God. He will provide for you. This faith does not question that God will provide, regardless of what the outward circumstances show. This faith does not fear war, famine, poverty, or sickness. True faith says, Lord, you feed the birds of the air. Will you not feed me also? How can I be without when my father's own owns all things. This first sign of great faith is confidence that God will keep his promises. Second, a great faith can see and do things that are beyond what most would consider normal. It is capable of overcoming this sinful world. First John 5, 4 says, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Nothing in this world, including your human nature, can defeat great faith. We can see this faith in the words of David from 2 Samuel twenty-two twenty-four. I was also blameless before him, and I kept myself from iniquity. This from a man who committed adultery and murder. It shows how strongly David believed in his Lord, and how his faith gave him courage and strength to repent of sin in his life. He believed that he would be blameless before God by faith as Abraham was righteous because he believed God. Great faith can give you the strength to prefer God's glory ahead of secular things. You can stand fast in what you know the truth to be regardless of the circumstances you face. This brings you to the place this type of faith can really shine. 1 Thessalonians 1, 6. And you become followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction, which is the joy of the Holy Spirit. Can you stand fast in the face of persecution and suffering for what you say you believe? Every Christian needs to ask themselves that question. This is one of those things that can truly show your faith. It can make it shine for a dark world to see. This type of faith can hogtie the lust of the flesh. It can make your life a beacon of hope to others. It can accomplish many tasks through love. It can build in you a compassion for others. It can open your spiritual eyes to a glimpse of the glory. 
This faith can open what is closed and close what is opened. It can bring together those who are separated. This fountain of faith can build you up to stand above your human nature. The second sign of great faith is strength in your Lord. Do you trust in him and in him alone? The third sign is very important as you approach this table. It deals with your stability when sin encroaches on your heart. Can your faith withstand God's rebuke? God chastens those who sin. Mary, Jesus' mother, at the wedding in Cana, knew they were out of wine. She approached Jesus about the problem. In John 2, 4, he rebukes her, saying, My hour has not yet come. She ignores his rebuke. She tells the servants to do what he says. He makes wine. Mary believed he could and would do it. She did not waver, even at his rebuke. You must not waver in the face of his chastisement for your sin. Your sins can and will be forgiven when you keep your eyes on Jesus. This is when faith shines its brightest. This third sign is importunity. Holding fast to what you believe. Trusting in the faith you have. The fourth sign is a faith that goes against the trends of the world. We talk a lot about man's reason, or as some would call it, common sense. This great faith will tell you it's better to suffer than to sin, and such talk defies real reason. Man's reason is most often founded in self-preservation. It is a fact that the believer can come to heaven even when the tide of man's reason and the wind of temptation is against him. Abraham was called by God to offer his son Isaac up as a sacrifice. Surely the reasoning in his heart would have been, no, I won't do such a terrible thing. This was a severe test of Abraham's faith. Isaac was the child of promise. God said the Messiah would come through Isaac. This had to be a great puzzle in Abraham's mind. But he believed God, which means he had faith. If Isaac was to be sacrificed, then God would just have to raise him up from the dead. Because he promised the Messiah would come through Isaac. This was an act of great faith. God acknowledges that himself. Genesis twenty-two sixteen. By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, blessing, I will bless you. This fourth sign of faith is obedience. Obedience to God's word. The fifth sign of great faith is patience. You come in prayer, but you don't receive an answer immediately. What do you do? You wait. God doesn't follow the world's clock or calendar. He created time. He can control all the events of your life. He makes everything work out for his glory. Those who come in weak faith will either be strengthened in their weight or shown to be lacking true faith. A great faith is willing and ready to wait as long as it takes to see God's glory resolve the problem. A person with growing faith will know those times that seem hardest, often in the end, have the greatest of rewards. It requires faith to stand fast and not be moved in the face of sometimes overwhelming circumstances. Stay firm in patience, for this is true a true sign of faith. Behold on this table, this is the means 
for building great faith. Here is the picture of all Jesus Christ came into this world to do. We open this message with a verse that showed the foolishness of Saul's oath in keeping his men from what they needed. We see how he instilled fear in them. How do you approach this table? In faith, believing everything God told you about his only begotten son. Face those doubts that can hurt you and learn how to handle them. Do not allow fear to stop you from taking of this wonderful blessing. Take hold of all of these remembrances that show salvation. That the purpose behind this supper to show you the way. Open your heart. Let your face shine forth in this dark world. Take hold of what is so readily set before you. You can have confidence in your Lord. You can be strong in the Lord. You can stand before him with importunity. You can live in obedience and rest in peace. Please understand, no one is all of this in perfection. These are only signs of a growing faith and love of your sovereign Lord Almighty. As you come to this table, please search your heart. Let the message and fellowship of this communion build you up in each of these areas of your life. Let your faith learn to shine and to fight the fear and doubt that will try and turn you away from your Lord. Let us pray. Grant, Almighty God, that as you have made us a royal priesthood in your Son, that we may daily offer to you spiritual sacrifices and be devoted to you both in body and spirit. Grant that we, being endued with your power, may boldly fight against the devil and never doubt. Grant us the assurance that you will in the end give us a place in your victory, even though we will have to go through many troubles and difficulties. O oh Lord, O oh Lord, confirm that nothing the world does will discourage us. Give us the strength to patiently bear all reproaches until that day when you will take hold of our hand and raise us into glory with you in that celestial kingdom purchased by Christ's blood. Amen.